if it's early May and it's a Monday, then we're going to be at St. Mary's Hospital. We're right down in the lobby for National Hospital Week. I'm Larry Rifkin, and we've been doing this for so many years, and our host has always been Chad Wabel, and of course, Chad, the president of St. Mary's Hospital, and he is the first of many guests that we are going to be enjoying today, because we've got a lot to learn about the changing landscape in the hospital care unit here at St. Mary's Hospital, and their relationship with other hospitals across the region. And I've got to say that Chad is not only bringing to us the title of president of St. Mary's Hospital, but senior vice president of operations and chief transformation officer for Trinity Health New England. That's a lot for one person to be uh, handling. And I understand there's a lot of travel in your life these days, Chad. There is, Larry. It's great to have you here, first of all. We love this uh, event. We love spending time with you. And it's great to have you back here. uh, it's, It's my privilege to uh, to host you and the whole WATR team. It's a great week. It's hospital week. It's uh, it's a way to celebrate hospitals, but it's really to celebrate the people here at St. Mary's. It's really about nurses, and uh, our nurses got together last week and spent a lot of time celebrating um, their annual um, um, profession. And uh, this week we're going to deal with the entire hospital and everyone else that uh, um, is part of it. It's great to see physicians, as I see them right now, coming through the lobby here and uh, um, we just love the fact that we get a chance to celebrate what uh, physicians, nurses, and hospitals do together. And we saw that uh, full-page ad in yesterday's Republican American in celebration of 2017 National Nurses Week. And it was really a nicely put-together ad. And it also encompassed all of Trinity Health New England. And that's really where your new responsibilities lie in terms of tying together and helping to transform and integrate all the services. That's a big job you've got. Well, it's not about me, Larry, but it's really about, uh, you know, 10,000 different uh, uh, colleagues that are coming together from Holyoke, Massachusetts, you know, down into the Waterbury area of uh, Connecticut. Um, there's seven essentially uh, different care delivery um, systems within that. Um, St. Mary's, St. Francis, um, Mount Sinai Rehab Hospital. There's a Weldon Rehab Hospital also in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. There's Mercy Health, which is in Springfield. Uh, and then there's uh, uh, Providence Behavioral Health Hospital, as well as Johnson Memorial Hospital in Stafford Springs. So it's a pretty comprehensive uh, um, a region of uh, of healthcare. We 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 get the privilege of treating a lot of folks from a lot of different places throughout Connecticut and Massachusetts. We get a a, a real privilege of treating three inner city populations, which is really terrific and uh, sort of grounds us in what we're really here for as hospitals. I think everybody wanted to know because we had that long process of determining with whom you would partner ultimately. Everybody would like to know nine months in how's it all going. Uh, Tell us uh, what the manifestations are for the community as you see it. Well, it's terrific, um, Larry, in a lot of ways. And healthcare is uh, uh, extraordinarily challenging right now to get your arms around, uh, certainly to think about and get your head around with the the movement of the ACA and what's happening with the the Senate right now. And at a very macro level, um, everywhere from that to at the hospital level, what we deal with at the state level, as we read all kinds of different information around what's happening with the hospital taxes and what role do the hospitals have with their municipal governments. And, and it's very, very challenging. And so what people do 
is they really close down and they just focus on, you know, themselves and how they access this healthcare delivery system. And I will tell you, it's still very good from that perspective. We treat patients and and people extraordinarily well within Trinity Health New England. We know what our our uh, our mission is. Um, we believe in it. Um, we trust in it. Um, and we're here to take care of the community. That's our first and foremost uh, responsibility. And you've always said that, and I've always admired the fact that in the midst of many storms that you and I have encountered uh, during your tenure and during my time talking about these things, but I heard someone the other night on one of the national news broadcasts saying that the best and the brightest are not going to be going into medicine in the future because of all this turpor that's going on and all of this upset, and that really scares me a lot. It scares me. I mean, I, I think I shared that story with you at one point about my in my own career. I was I was pursuing medicine and, and considering being a doctor. And my own father-in-law, who was a solo OBGYN, um, on call every night, and I would see him coming out of the house as I was dating his daughter, and and uh, you know very tired and worn out. You know, didn't have a lot of great things to say about his profession, and and it changed my sort of view of the profession now hopefully i mean hopefully it's a good thing that i land that i'm able to influence it in another way and and i think it's a huge responsibility for anyone that's in healthcare right now to raise up the flag of the importance of getting the best and brightest to understand the importance of having them in healthcare in whatever way that it makes sense for them it's a great profession there's tons of opportunity um, yes, there's a lot of change, but I think it's going to be terrific for young people that are thinking about hospitals and, and, and care delivery in the future. I think it would be more important than ever for all of the activities that you're planning to really in, enliven the spirit of many people who are working in this industry as they've been buffeted by so many winds of change, and some have been good, and some have been curious. So you have a lot going on during National Hospital Week, and that's got to help uh, morale, I would imagine. We, we first start by touching the most important people, which are the women in our lives Absolutely. and in our communities. And so we have a huge event called called Sparkle that uh, really is, is sold out and it's going to really impact uh, 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 the women in our community and we've had great success with it. We're really focusing on that. We have tremendously talented breast surgeons, primary care doctors. As I've mentioned before, we're the only you know, probably hospital in the state of Connecticut that actually has a female in almost every specialty that we have within St. Mary's that's in our employed model. And uh, we take that very seriously. Um, we're going to celebrate Mass this week and, and uh, do that in recognition of our values and who we are as a Catholic health uh, system. And, um, and then we're going to celebrate as a whole team out on the lawn as they call it um, in the front lot here we call it street fest and we have a, a lot of fun recognizing all the great work that happens across st mary's and recognizing individuals that have done tremendous work here and and really rewarding and, and taking some time to just step back and have a you know you know a nice uh, nice drink and a um you know, some food and refreshments and uh, have a nice day here and celebrating what St. Mary's is all about. I think we're entitled to one, oh, one day a week to you do are. that. And by the way, we, WATR, you've invited us to come to the Sparkle event, so we will be there. For those of you who can't come down uh, to the AquaTurf and now it's sold out, you can be listening and you'll hear about uh, all of the services available to women in the community and you'll meet many of those doctors who are just incredibly talented, I know. When we think 
about it, switching gears, St. Mary's has officially been part of Trinity now for nine months, and you are in the new role of Chief Transition Officer, as well as still overseeing all the activities here at St. Mary's. What is that transition as you see it? Well, um, I tell you, it's, it's really more about how do we get people that really are working in different structures, organizationally, emotionally, culturally, to come together and really understand and appreciate how we can deliver healthcare in a different way together. Um, and that's been a lot of the work for at least the the six months or so that I've been uh, in this role. And I've had the good fortune, again, of walking in and out of, of Mercy Medical Center in downtown Springfield and and here at St. Mary's and over at St. Francis in Hartford and, and really understanding and appreciating what these communities do uh, for us, let alone what we do for the communities, and really appreciating how, how, do, how do we all really do come together for a reason. We are coming together for a reason. There's no question the way the reason we're coming together is very different than others. Um, we're not trying to build empires. What we're trying to do is, is provide the best possible care for our communities. And I think you're going to see us start to do that differently over the course of the next several months. Um, but first, we have to get organized to do that. And so a lot of the work is just, you know, trying to figure out how do we organize ourselves and how do we work between, you know, the local hospitals and care delivery models that we have, now a regional model that we have. And then in Livonia, Michigan, there's a, there's a corporate model, a system office that supports 92 hospitals and a bunch of nursing homes and extended care facilities and home health companies you know, across the nation. And, and we've got to understand how we play in that game. And it, it, it's, a, it's a process like, like moving to a new house or, or anything else. You, just, you know, it takes some time. Um, but I think we're starting to get uh, in sync and uh, moving forward with some initiatives. Over the years, we've looked at various voids where services were not being rendered within the hospital, outside of the hospital, and much of the growth in hospitals has been in other types of facilities in a region, not within the hospital walls in terms of the standard care that we always attribute to hospitals. I would imagine that a lot of the transformation is looking at the state and the region as a whole to figure out where those vacuums need to be filled. Absolutely. It's, it, at the end of the day, it's about how how we, me and you, you know, get the best possible care within a network. And the first thing we need to do is understand what our network is. And we have a network of very talented physicians and, and providers, again, from Holyoke, Mass., down to Southbury. Now, are they all working together all the time collectively? No, not right at this point. But as we implement an electronic health record here, which goes live July 1, EPIC, and then we're going to be on the same instance with about another 100 and some physicians here and providers in the Waterbury area with the other 500 providers or so in the Hartford area. And then next July, Mercy goes live with Epic up there with all of their And we're going to get an update on Epic later on. Exactly. And then we're going to have a couple thousand providers and all of our facilities from Holyoke down here all speak in the same language, working off of one healthcare record. And the consumer will have one healthcare record that they're dealing with. They'll go into one portal and we'll have this integration that's going to be necessary. That's a big part of what we're trying to do from an integration. So yes, these things take time. That's one piece of it. The clinical integration is very 
much hinged on what we're doing with an electronic health record, but it's also about how we deliver services. And uh, we're starting already to utilize our talents to recruit more effectively talented physicians into the, these communities together now um, and really pulling this, uh, this network together in a meaningful way. Well, of course, it's a challenging environment indeed across the country now with the change perhaps to something other than the Affordable Care Act. The state of Connecticut, of course, whether there's going to be property taxes on nonprofit hospitals, a whole range of things that you have to consider. When you and I started talking many years back, it was about the implementation of the Affordable Care Act and what the impact of that would be. And it seems as if that hasn't even fully matured and now it may be replaced or at least changed and modified significantly. How difficult is that? And what would you say has been the impact of the expansion of Medicaid in Connecticut? What has that meant to this hospital or this network of hospitals now? Well, right now, most of it has been based on insurance reform. I mean, most of the delivery reform has actually been in the works with hospitals for many, many years. So we've been um, evolving as, as healthcare companies, as hospitals for many years before the Affordable Care Act came to life in terms of saying, hey, listen, healthcare is too expensive. When we receive healthcare, it's not as coordinated as it really should be. How do we actually change to do that? A lot of that change, quite frankly, has driven the mergers, consolidations, and what have you, because you can't build enough of a capital infrastructure to do that without working more closely together with each other. And so in regions, you have now things like Trinity Health New England that are coming together that really now can access capital, can do the things that it can do to really bring together all those providers and, and, and meaningfully drive down the cost of health care, meaningfully improve care, and really change the way people access care. We think a lot of care can be provided in the home. Right now, there are people that are being discharged in, Amer in, in, in the United States right now in certain regions. There are people that are being discharged from the emergency department that would usually be discharged up to the hospital. They're actually discharged to their home for inpatient care. And a whole team is ready for them when they get home. And so instead of being in a very expensive infrastructure like a hospital, they're actually in their home receiving inpatient care. That's actually happening today. That can't happen if you're just your own little small company. You know, you have to leverage capital and resources to be able to do that. We're going to be doing those kind of things. We're going to be exploring those kind of innovative and creative approaches to how we take care of, of our population in a way they want to be cared for. Millennials are so facile now with, with um, iPhones, whatever the next I thing will be, if it's an I, um, they'll have it. Of course. And they're going to want to use that to make decisions around healthcare, just like they do everything else. We need to understand what that is and how do we provide care to them using whatever gadget it is that they are, they are going to have. And we've got to be responsible to the, the 80, 90-year-old person that's got some chronic illness but wants to live out the rest of their life peacefully and gracefully, and, and we want to make sure we're responsible to them as well. And so we're, we're prepared to do that now in a way that we've never been prepared to do that before. 
So as the transformation officer for this group of Trinity Health uh, New England, if we were speaking a year from now, what would you hope would be a measure of your success in trying to make things uh, more accessible to people, make uh, processes more understandable, and improve the outcomes? What would you hope a year from now? Well, I'd hope a year from now that we're organized in a much more unified way that you know the representation that we have of of um, we're just going to do things in little cloisters and silos will start to be broken down that we'll be able to do things and bring the best and brightest together across the region to make decisions about care delivery whether that's in oncology or cancer care whether that's in cardiac care whether that's just how you access a primary care physician how can we do that in a way that's different than today respects the needs of the consumer that's out there and we're able to move more quickly to get those things done so I think speed to the market I hope is quicker um, so we're making decisions and deploying whether it's assets or or programs or services out in the community that's the first thing I also hope that we're really out in the community much more than we are we've been really inwardly focused in hospitals we we, we take care of you when you come into our doors well that's not the way people actually get sick you know they usually wait a long time and they put it off and they go through all kinds of agony. Yeah, that's not a good thing, you know, but we do that. But that's what we happens. Do you know, males in particular yeah. do that more yeah, than females. Course. And actually black males do that more than white males. Yeah. And we can go down through all of the sort yeah. of cultural issues around And this. I think we will today. We have to get out with these people and walk with the people and understand how we can deliver care with them so we can actually keep them from the expensive health care that actually occurs by putting things off, by not, you know, understanding and appreciating what disease or what you might have um, that's inside of you that might cause a problem um, later in life. We need to understand those things more, and I think we can provide and be testament to that as we as we move forward. Well, I remember a couple of weeks ago you had a speaker in, uh, Thomas Moore, uh, talking about the spiritual side, looking at all the elements that affect our health. So definitely you care about educating and looking at the whole person. Well, Chad, always great to see you. You notice that I've got my St. <laughs> Mary's tie on, and uh, you guys were so kind to me uh, several months ago, so I appreciate that, but I'm wearing it proudly today as part of uh, this broadcast. I do, and we actually have another color, so if I can find the other <laughs> color, Larry, I'll make sure you get another color of the St. Mary's tie, and I have to give a shout out again to our nurses. We have the Nightingale's Award that's coming up uh, um, soon, and, and we have three people here at St. Mary's that are being recognized. Janice Edmonds, Beth Welded, and Trisha Rubo are being recognized uh, for their superior nursing care and uh, care delivery, and they just represent the other 2,000 caregivers and support staff that we have here at St. Mary's, and we love them all equally, but uh, we're going to take a night to celebrate with those three. Uh, well, we're going to be talking about nurses again later in the broadcast. I can't thank you enough. Chad Wabel, president of St. Mary's Hospital, very busy man also, senior vice president of operations and chief transformation officer for Trinity Health New England, and I'll let you get back to all the things you're doing. Thanks, thank Larry. You. Have fun today. I will. Thank you, Chad. We're going to take a break, and we will be back here on WATR in just a moment as part of National Hospital Week from the lobby of St. Mary's Hospital 56 Franklin Street. If you want to stop by, uh, you certainly can do that. We'll be back in a moment.
We have a few moments with Sister Dolores Lar, the Director of Mission Integration and Spiritual Care and Sister of St. Joseph. And Sister Dolores, we have met in the past mm -hmm. and always love your spirit. We know the St. Mary's is uh, now part of this larger regional and national Catholic health care organization. Tell us about the work that you're doing to promote the mission of St. Mary's and what that means to your patients. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the, the mission of St. Mary's is continuing. The, our colleagues here have a wonderful spirit. Um, all I'm doing is bringing out the mission that's already here. You know, our colleagues for years have followed the legacy of the Sisters of St. Joseph, which was to reach out to those in most need. And they're doing a wonderful, wonderful ministry. The folks that work here are called to be here at St. Mary's and continue this wonderful mission. They have compassionate hearts. They're very caring. And we continue to deliver that exceptional care to every patient every day. Now, some say that your mission is large C Catholic and small C Catholic. What does that really mean? For me, I, when I do the orientation with our, our new folks, I say, you know, please remember we're Catholic with a capital C, which means we do as a Catholic hospital follow the ethical and religious directives, which take us from prenatal to death. And there are very, it's a very rich document, and it, it guides us when we need to make ethical decisions. But we're also Catholic with a small C, which folks from their SAT days, the vocabulary days, say, oh, it's universal, because we welcome everybody. We're an equal opportunity caregiver. We don't turn anybody away here at St. Mary's, and we employ all kinds of folks. They're Catholic, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, folks of no particular faith tradition. So when I say that to our, especially our new colleagues who are not of the Catholic faith, they, they just nod their heads, and it's a very welcoming, warm spirit that we have. So I'm Catholic with a capital and Catholic with a small. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Sister Dolores, how much do you have to remind people of science? Because you're working with people who are interesting blend, doctors mm -hmm. and caregivers, because they went into this because they have a scientific brain, mm -hmm. but they also care deeply about not sitting in a lab and working on mm -hmm. some engineering project, but working with human beings. Yeah. So do they already have a lot of that kind of built in already? Yeah, I think here at St. Mary's, most of our caregivers already have that someplace within them. It's like a little seed that may need a little water, a little, little fertilizer sometimes. But they're here because they want to be here. And um, as I said, some of them might need a little coaching, a little modeling, a little mentoring. But they, they already have that heart of caring. Otherwise, they wouldn't make it here. They wouldn't make it here, Larry. Oh, absolutely. I can imagine that. When you see reflected in the patient experience what a Catholic hospital may be, not versus other hospitals, but perhaps accenting various things, what would they be? I think they would be the Catholic with a small c. Everybody is treated equally. And when I've asked patients, well, when you say you had a great experience at our Catholic hospital, they say it's, it's that intangible outreach, caring, people looking at me in the eye, people listening to me. Um, the medical care is comparable to other places, but they said it's the way it's delivered. It's that extra listening ear or a listening heart that our caregivers have that sets us apart. Sets us apart. If you could put health care in some kind of historical context in terms of the mission of the Catholic Church. It's chaotic. 
<laughs> I think, no, seriously, I mean, while healthcare today is, is in a very chaotic state, especially in, in the United States, I think that here at St. Mary's especially, we continue the legacy of the Sisters of St. Joseph, which was to offer that compassionate care, especially to the poor and vulnerable. And it doesn't have to be a materially poor person. It could be somebody who needs us emotionally or psychologically. Um, nobody wakes up in the morning saying, oh, I can't wait to go to the emergency room today. It's going to be great. So when that person comes, we reach out and we care for that person in a, in a very special way. I know the sisters, and sisters of different orders, mm -hmm. have been so vital to both education and health care as obligations of the mm -hmm. church. Uh, perhaps you can say something about the role of the sisters in both education and health care. Mm -hmm. And when the sisters of many congregations first came to the United States, many of them came for educational purposes or health care purposes. And Trinity Health in particular is built on a lot of religious congregations who found hospitals and have come together because as we age we hope to be able to mentor younger people who will come after us because at some point it's not well what do the sisters want or what will the sisters think I'm now saying well what do you, what do you think because it's health care in the United States is in the hands of wonderful wonderful laypersons at this point and they're carrying the mission forward they know it they get it End-of-life care, it's something that a lot of people are beginning really mm. to think about. We have an aging population, mm -hmm. particularly here in Connecticut. And I know that the hospice care here, because I've heard from so many people, or mm -hmm. even if you read the obituaries, so many people so grateful for what the service has meant here at mm -hmm. St. Mary's Hospital. How important is that as part of the obligations of the sisters and the church? Well, here at St. Mary's Hospital, we lease a floor to VITAS and uh, people can choose if they're a patient in the hospital to transfer into VITAS um, but they operate independently of St. Mary's Hospital. We also have folks who choose to stay on a particular unit and live out the rest of their lives and they continue to get the very best care. Um, end of life is tough. Um, we hope that patients and their families have come to appropriate resolutions before that time comes. But we also have wonderful spiritual care here that we offer. We also offer spiritual care up in VITAS. Is mission integration, and this will be my last question, is it easier for a group of Catholic hospitals formed under the banner of Trinity Health than perhaps other hospitals trying to come together because there's a certain clarity of mission? Mm -hmm. yeah. I would I definitely affirm that. We have wonderful resources at Trinity Health. Um, if I need something, they have a wonderful mission integration department. They have wonderful people in, responsible for that. Lots of great resources that we have found, not just for mission integration, but a lot of other areas as we've come into Trinity Health. So. Well, it's such a pleasure, as always, to see you. Uh, Sister Dolores Lahr, thanks for coming by today. Thanks for having me. And time with us. Wonderful. Great. Thank and you. And we are going to move on to an area that a lot of people talk about when they think about the hospital. And that relates to emergency care and urgent care. Dr. Mickey Weiss is with us, the medical director at St. Mary's Urgent Care Centers and a physician in St. Mary's Emergency Department. And I know we have another guest who's going to be joining us, and I will ask her to identify because I think she's new to our uh, broadcast today. And you are? Hi, I'm Dr. E.G. Akinili. I'm the associate medical director. Okay, wonderful to meet you. And I know we've met before, Dr. Weiss, and I'll ask you to take that microphone 
phone and tell us about urgent care because I know that's a growing area here at the hospital. And just give us a sense of how much you have been proliferating in the area of what is called urgent care and make that understandable to us in relation to other emergency services. Okay. Thank you, Larry, and thanks for coming out today. Uh, yeah, we are very excited. We, we've just a few years ago, we only had two urgent care centers uh, associated with St. Mary's, and now we have four, and we're going to have five uh, very soon. Um, we're going to be opening our fifth urgent care center on July 17th this year, and it's going to be at uh, 3801 East Main Street in Waterbury, right near Costco. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a beautiful 3,000 square foot space. It's going to have x ray and blood draw on site, just like our other urgent care centers. And um, we will have also associated with that a, a new Franklin Medical uh, Primary Care Group and specialty care right in the same building. So the urgent cares, like you say, really have popped up because it's a great alternative to the emergency department for one level down. If you're having severe chest pain, severe abdominal pain, severe shortness of breath, you really belong in the emergency department if you think there's something life-threatening. But a lot of the care delivered in the emergency department is really urgent care and can be handled uh, in the urgent care centers. All of our urgent care centers do have x-ray right on site the whole time it's open. You can go in and get seen and get an x-ray. You can get an EKG. Uh, They also act as blood draw stations. If your doctor orders routine blood work on you, cholesterol, that type of thing, you can go to the urgent care center and get your blood drawn. You don't even have to see the practitioner to do that. Um, Our other urgent care centers are uh, here in Waterbury. We're at uh, 1312 West Main Street. We're also in Wolcott at 503 Wolcott Road, in Naugatuck at 799 New Haven Road, and our newest one uh, so far is in Cheshire at uh, 1154 Highland Avenue across from Paul's Restaurant. Uh, I'd like to put in a plug for Cheshire. It's a beautiful, beautiful yeah, facility. Yeah, I've seen it. It really is and, a gorgeous area. Yeah, and we're still slow. We, we, it, there's virtually never a wait there. Um, and, you know, I think it's just taking a little time to get uh, for people to get familiar with it, but everybody who's been there that I've talked to has just been so appreciative of it and uh, and how nice the location it is. I would imagine that you are placing these centers strategically based upon what you look at the census as being and the need in a particular area. So here you're on the west and east sides of Waterbury. You're in Wolcott, Naugatuck, and Cheshire. And that must be very strategic. And then the hours. I think a lot of people want to know the hours so that they know that uh, they don't want to bother the emergency operation certain times a day. And they think that after a certain hour, they do need to get down here uh, to the emergency room. Help us understand that. Sure. Uh, all of the urgent care centers are open weekdays, 8 in the morning till 8 at night. They actually do open at 7 for the routine blood draws and that type of thing. But as far as seeing a practitioner, it's 8 to 8 on the weekdays. Saturdays, 8 to 5. And right now, Sundays, uh, I'm sorry, Saturdays, 9 to 5. And Sundays, 9 to 2. We are thinking about extending the Sunday hour to 9 to 5 as well because that, that does tend to be a busy time. So uh, 
yeah, you know, after those hours, then, then if you have, have to be seen that day, you would need to go to the emergency department. If it's something that can wait till the next day, then fine. Some things can, some things can't. Um, well, I know this is a certain time of year in terms of the springtime, and I would imagine, Doctor, that uh, at different times of year, different reasons bring people into the emergency department or to urgent care for that matter. Tell us in the spring what you normally see. So in the spring, we're past the cold, you know, the flu season. We see a lot of, believe it or not, traumatic injuries. The weather is nicer and people are out playing. Oh, we're all trying should. to be warriors, yeah. <laughs> so we see a lot of... Um, um, hopefully the sprains go to the urgent care centers, but a lot of car accidents, motorcycle accidents. We also see things like seasonal allergies. We still see a lot of the colds sort of coming back. But we have the bread and butter that we all see in the emergency department, the chest pains, the abdominal pains. So we see those year-round. I understand that you're always changing your responsibilities within the emergency department, trying to respond. It's one of the busiest. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the tip of the spear in terms of people when they think about uh, going to the hospital. It's often in an emergency situation. What do you want us to know about the changes there? I understand that for the pediatric patients, you're doing a lot more, even autistic children. You're really responsive uh, to the changes in the environment. Tell us what you're doing. That's a phenomenal question. We're 75,000 visits level two trauma emergency departments, which makes us one of the busiest in the state. And to accommodate the changing needs of our society or of our community, we've done many things. A lot of what we've done is increase our throughput, make our space more friendly. For example, we've expanded the pediatric area to include autism-friendly rooms where these children can actually have spaces where they feel comfortable and get evaluated and seen by specialized pediatric emergency medicine trained physicians and don't have as much simulation and all those things that make it a peaceful environment for them. We have, in addition to doing that, we've recognized the great needs we have for behavioral health in the community. We've expanded and sort of revamped our behavioral health location within the emergency department to create more capacity and more comfort for patients with behavioral mental health problems. So okay. Those are some of the big changes we've done this year. Alone. That's great. Dr. Weiss, help us understand, because we always hear about changes within emergency medicine based on technology, uh, new ways to approach wait times and uh, the way you order patients in terms of uh, the need for care. Uh, explain what goes on. I'm sure that's an ever-changing responsibility. Yeah, it's a little different between the emergency department and urgent care. In the emergency department, since we do see a fair amount of acute life-threatening things, there is a triage system. So someone coming in with an ankle sprain may have to wait a little longer than someone coming in with a heart attack or a stroke or something like that. In urgent care, in general, everybody's in the same boat as far as the average severity of illness and if we see somebody who comes in with acute chest pain you know we will get them right in and do an EKG if they're having a heart attack we'll call 911 and get them right to the emergency department but in general in uh, the urgent care it's first come first serve now in a place like Cheshire right now the the census is fairly low so it's you can pretty much get right in and get seen right away Naugatuck tends to be busier, particularly on Mondays and Tuesdays. So really? We, Why yeah. is that? Uh, I'm not sure. I think maybe because people on the weekends um, 
will wait and not go in oh, with think a, that they something. Can deal with it. Yeah. And then Monday comes along and they still have the illness, so, <laughs> I so they come in. But we've instituted a new policy in Naugatuck since it's been so busy. We have double coverage for uh, nine or ten hours of the day. We'll have uh, one practitioner come in at eight and work till five. We'll have another practitioner come in at ten and work till 8 p.m. So during the busy times, there's actually double coverage in Naugatuck. And we keep a close eye on the census uh, at each of our places. West Main Street's getting busier. And once that reaches a certain level, then we uh, will do double coverage there as well. You know, we want to try to keep up with the census and try to keep the waiting times to a minimum. Well, it's great that you've extended your reach and your footprint into all of these outlying communities as well as here at the hospital. So, folks, you, they are still available in the emergency department, but when you think that perhaps there's a, something that can be done, a blood draw, an x-ray, something that can get done at urgent care, I would think I'm echoing what you'd like the people to understand. Go there first if you can. Sure. Uh, one other thing I'd like to say sure. if I could is talk a little bit about ticks. Ah. Uh, we are seeing a... a huge upswing in the amount of ticks and tick-borne illnesses. Uh, this year it was a fairly warm winter without any extended cold spells. Mm. So the all predictions are that the ticks are going to be a big problem this year. Uh, just looking at the CDC website this morning and the percentage of deer ticks that are infected with Lyme disease or there's a couple others that people may have heard about, babesiosis and ehrlichiosis, has, is really going up. Uh, and we've already been seeing uh, people with ticks. So if, if you have a tick embedded, uh, don't do what, you know, you might read on the Internet or try to smother it or cover it with Vaseline or burn it with a match. You can come on in. We'll get the tick out. We do have, you know, special fine tip tweezers to pull the tick out. And then if it looks like it's a, a, a deer tick and there's a chance that it might have transmitted uh, Lyme disease, we have a, a, a prophylactic dose of an antibiotic called doxycycline that we can give you right then and there. Uh, and the thinking is that that hopefully will prevent you from getting Lyme disease. Well, listen, I thank you so much for that because I think that is an incredible message that we need to get across. It really is. And I was out doing the screenway cleanup the other day, and I was covered as best I could head to toe, taped everything up. So we've got to be very, very cautious. I want to thank you both for giving us a really good update on the emergency and urgent care situation here available to our listeners at St. Mary's Hospital and their outlying uh, uh, facilities and this wonderful thank you again for coming by thank you we're going to take a quick break here on national hospital week we are in the lobby of st mary's hospital please come by if you'd like or just keep in mind a lot of the information that you're hearing it's very very important we'll go back to the studio and come back then to st mary's hospital
Our next guests are helping to implement a new electronic health record here at St. Mary's called EPIC. We heard a little bit about it from Chad Wabel. And uh, Birgit Colmer is a registered nurse in the uh, IT department, informational technology here at St. Mary's. She has lectured internationally on clinical workflows, serves as the project clinical lead for EPIC. And Greg Bennett is assistant director of enterprise information systems at St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, which is, of course, a member of Trinity Health New England. Birgit, tell us about this project. I mean, a lot of attention being drawn to it, a lot of people talking about it, so there are a lot of expectations as to what it's going to be able to do. What do you think? Well, thank you for having me here today. This is a huge project for us here on St. Mary's Hospital, and I have been uh, overseeing the clinical side of the implementation for our new software project, and we currently in the process of training everyone on EPIC. So we built up a new training center here in St. Mary's with seven new classrooms and a command center we will be using for our go-live. And I'm very excited that we're currently actually offering almost 5,000 training classes. We have 530 doctors plus APRNs, PAs, and nurses signed up for training, which is huge. It's a huge amount Sounds of people. It, yeah. yeah. So we have 43 trainers here to teach those classes, so everyone will be prepared for our go-live on July 1st. And everyone will be prepared to take care of our patients in the hospital. During our now, what are the advantages of this new system? I know a lot of us are confused about what we should be keeping and how often we're going to be asked for the same information regarding our health history. What will this do for us? So being a nurse, uh, uh, it means for me the biggest advantage I see for uh, the patients is that your record is integrated seamlessly into the bigger system of all the facilities. So scheduling appointments will be a lot easier than uh, what it ever was in the past. So if you can imagine in the past you had to fill out 10 papers coming to an office just so they know who you are, and now you don't have to do this anymore. Everyone would just confirm who you are and your record travels with you. doesn't matter if you go to the ER first and then being a patient in the hospital and then going to your primary care physician. Your record travels always with you and is there for you. And I believe that Craig can tell us a little bit more what uh, it brings for the patient on the patient portal side. Okay, yeah. And Greg, help us to understand, because there are a lot of people listening who are not computer savvy. Sure. And I know that Chad was saying, well, the next generation, they're going to want everything. They're going to want all their <laughs> vitals on their phone. Sure. We understand the changes that are going on. But for those who are a little bit older and may not have the facility with some of the equipment and some of the capabilities that this system would allow, uh, how does it work for all of us? Yeah, Larry. Uh, so thank you for having me this morning. Pleasure. Um, so, you know, I'm a patient just like everyone else and all of your listeners. And, um, you know, having access to your healthcare information is really important and being able to update it. Um, your, some of your listeners may go to Florida. Some of your listeners may come back. Changes may have occurred in their record. Yeah, that's a great point. There's a, there's a portal. Um, it's called a patient portal that's available through this system um, that will allow patients to actually update their medication. Um, and, and even if your listeners themselves may not uh, be, maybe they don't have a smart watch or a smartphone or access to a computer, um, the 
individuals in their family that they've indicated can have access to that information can go in and make sure that that information is updated as well. And as Birgit indicated, it's seamless throughout all of Trinity Health New England. So uh, we have a number of clinicians. We have over 500 of them using the system in the um, Hartford area. Uh, we're going to be adding the Waterbury community to that family. Uh, we're going to have, as Chad had indicated, um, bringing up the folks in Springfield, Massachusetts as well. The one record across all of those places really does help with care coordination. Um, and there, there are some really neat things you can do in the portal. So you can update medications, you can update allergies, you can update problems. You can go in and actually request appointments and actually book those appointments right there on that website. Um, as I mentioned, your loved ones that you've requested to have access uh, for your records, um, they can be set up as proxies so that they can log in and actually see updated information within that system. I guess someone might have the question, what about outside of your Trinity Health system if in fact they generally come to you but sure. then from time to time they don't? We have less than two minutes. How does it interact or talk to these other systems? Yeah, so one of the great things about the platform we have is its interoperability and the ability to pull information from other systems and share that information. Uh, just this morning I happened to log into my account and I went into a section that said I'm going to allow this information to be queried by other organizations if I want them to be able to do that. Um, so the interoperability among healthcare is something that uh, the government has put a lot of work into and the vendors have done a lot to make that possible. So we're really not living in the silos of medical care like we used to, you know, even five, ten years ago. So I would assume that all of this will save money, time, confusion, save us from duplicating things. Correct.